Hello and welcome to Backwash. I am John from AdamRiff.com, and I am Adam from Existing. Do you want, do you want to give your Do you want to give your Twitter handle or no? Sure, I am a zombieologist on Twitter. I want to start. I'm in Los Angeles right now, and yesterday I went to this home furnishing store in Beverly Hills, and I'm walking around, and I see pin art uh a pin screen you know those things where you put your hand up oh yeah with all the little and, like nails right yeah okay and so i see one of those and next to it is uh a newton's cradle uh you know those five metal balls where you yeah the pendulum type dr- thing yeah okay and it, it basically it's like nine inch nails video for only that, you know, um, and then I see beside those two, I see a large magnifying glass, <laughs> and I thought to myself, "When was the last time you used a magnifying glass?" And so I, I pose the question to you: When was the last time you used a magnifying glass? Probably in like elementary school, maybe. I don't even know what like functionality that would have had, but. I can't even like, remember. Yeah, elementary to, school, I like guess. To, to me, yeah, like to me, a magnifying glass is like a, <laughs> it's like a budget version of a telescope, right? Or a microscope rather. And but like in culture, when you think of a magnifying glass, you think of Sherlock Holmes, you know, holding it up to his eye. And, you know, magnifying glasses are associated with search search functions like in OS X. Sure, and UI stuff. You know, and UI stuff. Yeah, yeah, magnifying yeah glass to, to access a search, you signify it with a magnifying glass. But can you imagine searching for something <laughs> with a magnifying glass? It just doesn't seem like it's never been a practical device to find anything. I don't know what I, I would like to see somebody use that in a in a real capacity. What was that, like, like I wonder. I still don't know how Sherlock Holmes finds clues with it. Just like in UI search functionality, it just it represents search more than it actually represents being able to use it as a like a hardware device. And what would you be searching for that you'd need a magnifying glass that wouldn't be better served with a microscope? Assuming that both of these inventions came along at you know roughly the same time portability sake maybe yeah but so anyway i was just wondering like the last time i don't think i've ever used a mic a magnifying glass to search and isn't that or like to magnify text i think our generation used magnifying glasses to start to start fires and to burn ants well this brings up this actually poses a pretty good thing for the ui thing because they're starting to phase out like using the three and a half like floppy disk icon to save because there's generations of kids who have no idea what that even means and they can't even relate it to that but we can still do it with a magnifying glass which isn't used wasn't even used really even in our lifetime we can still relate it though. yeah i think the 
the icon for search should be three question marks. Or it could be like a stylized question mark, like, like the Riddler. one in Batman Forever. Okay, yeah, the, that's exactly the one <laughs> the, I was the, thinking of. The Riddler's question that, mark. While we're talking about the Riddler, don't you think that when DC exhumes the Riddler for uh, an, an upcoming film, Christoph Waltz is going to play the Riddler, right? That seems pretty good. I could see some. I could see someone British doing it as well, though, and maybe more of a flavor you, of the month guy who's coming off a run of a couple of movies. Do you think? Well, Christoph Waltz could also play the Joker, but he he just he screams Riddler to me whenever I, I see him. I see that. I totally do. I, yeah, I was watching um, Spectre, and he's playing like a, a Riddler type character, and. Uh, what were we talking about? Magnifying glasses. Along those lines, when was the last? Actually, not when was the last time. Do you do you use a parking brake? I do occasionally. Yes, parking on steep driveways, which we, okay. we do have here. So yeah, I do use a parking brake. So like some years back, I was in it was in Los Angeles, like I am now, and I was staying with a friend, and she went up to. Portland for the weekend and she let me use her car. I, you know, I took her car to check, to check out this food place and I'm driving along. I realize that the brake isn't working or at least I have to press the brake longer and longer in advance to slow down at all. And fortunately it's, it's Sunday morning and they're not too many cars, but I'm on like Wilshire Boulevard, which is a big street in Los Angeles and I'm freaking out that this car, the brake just isn't working and I get, luckily, you know, I don't hit anything and I manage to slow down on uh, the curbside in some suburban street. I, I call my friend, I, you know, I'm, I'm panicking like I didn't, I, I didn't want to br- have broken her car and after like 15, 20 minutes, I realized that the parking brake is on. I've been driving this whole time with mm-hmm. the parking brake on. And what I don't understand is apparently you have to push down to release the parking brake. And that doesn't make sense to me. Like I had pulled the thing up, the, the, the brake handle up, because then, you know, why would you push down to release the brake? You'd pull it, you pull it up as in, as it, as like as if you're pulling the brake off. Well, okay, so this might show your ignorance to how car hardware works. Uh, typically, parking brakes like that, or emergency brakes, or however you want to uh, refer to it, actually pulls a cable to lock things. So the physical motion of that is actually pulling on a cable. So when you undo it, which would be the down motion, that actually releases and loosens up the thing. You have it flip-flopped in your mind, I guess, how it actually works, but it's physically like tightening and pulling on something to in- in- engage the braking system because it's kind of separate from the actual braking system on the car. It also depends on what type of vehicle vehicle you're driving too. Like my sister just bought a new Subaru and it has electronic brake, like emergency brake like that. I have I don't even know how that works. Yeah, like I I, I was driving another friend's honda crv today now now every time i borrow someone's car i'm worried that the parking brake is on because i can't i just i can't tell if it's pull out or if it's pushed down and this one the brake to, to turn the brake on you pull it out 
because it comes out of like where the where the the stereo is. It's in that that panel, and so you pull it out to put the brick on, and you push, push it, it down to release it. Okay, now, now I'm confusing myself. Like, what did it do with the other car? The other car was. So you pull it up. You, you pulled it up and right. engaged the brake. I so you you, turn, you know you could you, turn on car you could turn on cars just by pushing a button nowadays yeah. you know you can start the engine just by pushing a button why can't you do this with the parking brakes they you do just have electronic it. ones now but that's it's fairly rare for the most part it, it is being All solved right. for uh, people in your predicament I suppose okay <laughs> I just I just I just had to get that off my chest okay All right. have you seen uh, with Bob and David I am. An episode and a half in, so I, I managed to watch one in, sneak one in, so we could discuss it, just so I had at least some vibe of what with Bob and Dave. Okay, is, what did you, what did you think of it? Well, based on you telling me your opinion about it, it colored me a little bit. I actually thought it was pretty good. It was pretty much what I was expecting it to be. It's an extension of Mr. Show, which uh, is which is something I don't know. You admittedly have not seen. I, Mr. Show. No, but I did see them live. You know, I saw Mr. Show live okay. and I and, saw the Mr. Show film. Okay. Run, Ronnie, Mr. Run. And Mr. Show. And I liked that one. And so Mr. Show live plays pretty close to how Mr. Show with Bob and David plays out, right? I mean, interweaving sketches and relating stuff back and things like that, callbacks and all that sort right. of thing, right? It, right. It's the it's, same. Okay. So you're familiar with how it worked, even not seeing Mr. Show on TV. Yeah, I mean, okay. Nick Kroll does so, something similar on his show, yep. uh, or he did. I've been really down on sketch comedy this year. I thought Keen Peel's last final season was not was very, pretty not, dire. Not Friends of the People was not that, that show <laughs> very hit good. Very, very rarely did that show hit for me. What else is and there? well, there's Saturday Night Live, Inside Amy Schumer. I think was was Kroll show on this year. So I, I I watched all of with Bob and David, and I don't know. I I don't like sketches where once you figure out the joke, they repeat the joke over and over and over. <laughs> this seems to be they kind of beat you over the is, head with with the joke. Yeah, Kim Peel did this a lot. It just saddened me to see. <laughs> Bob and David do it uh, in these episodes in some sketches. I like. I wonder, you know, on sitcoms, if you just cut out, you know, how sitcoms have A, B, and C stories. Yeah. If you just cut together the C story of a of like a Parks and Rec episode, would it be better or worse than a sketch on a sketch show? So you feel like the strengths of of a C story in a sitcom is about as strong as the sketch comedy that you see. I wonder. I I feel like it's stronger if... than sketch comedy. Okay. I I don't know. I I just I'm just not feeling sketch comedy now. Well, and you're considering uh, a C storyline in a sitcom the weakest of the story that is being told, or do you feel? How do you how do you look at the C story anyways? You you, you know what it is? I feel like these sketches should be a, a minute long, and maybe that's that's why I love Eric Andre because he only has eleven episodes, uh, eleven minutes. I'm sorry. And so jokes just can't go go on. They do the joke once and they move on. Okay. But of course, a sketch show is twenty two minutes to fill. Yeah. Well, I mean, when it I don't know comes to repetitiveness. So I mean, like Tim and Eric use that as a 
device. Do you feel like these other people don't use it as a device? I, 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 it's I, I, actually just I think weak. Tim and Eric use it it's in an anti-comedy com- way. It's a so yeah. So you're you, they're recognizing it as a, as a, as a comedic device, and you're telling me that Bob and David or whatever else some of these sketch shows are using it, and it's just poor. It's just poor writing, or it's just it's just being executed completely wrong it's just it's just lazy writing like the first time they do it i might chuckle and then they do it again and i know where it's going okay they do it again basically what usually happens is one guy ends up annoying another guy you know the other guy reaches his boiling boiling point and then the sketch ends so this is a sketch that this is a a sketch formula or or type that I really dislike. And you're and you're and you're specifically return, referring to repetitiveness in one skit, not uh, not like reoccurring characters or anything like that. That doesn't count. Like oh, I don't reoccur- like recurring. I don't like recurring characters. Recurring characters either. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's because I, I feel like where you're coming from then. I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Usually, they just especially on Saturday Night Live, they repeat the same shtick, and this is why I absolutely loathe. The guests on Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live, they bring back these same guests to the to do the same shtick, and I feel like it kills. I'd much rather they just tell jokes about the news. I feel like it kills the momentum of the Weekend Update segment to have these guests come in and do their unfunny shtick rep- that's repetitive. I'm just really hating on, on sketch comedy right now. There has to be a strong character out of, that's come out of something that you've liked, right? I, mean, I was thinking about that, and I think like, what was the last re- recurring character on a sketch comedy show that I liked? And you can't think of anything. Wayne's World. <laughs> I had to reach See, back to and I've always thought, and that's always been one of the ones that I haven't liked. I, I think I, that, I think I think when it comes to sketch comedy, I think by definition, you if you don't like if you don't like repetitiveness, characters that are coming back. You're gonna have a hard time liking any of it because that is just seems like to be part of the the main base of the formula. I mean, that's gonna be in there no matter what. I mean, you have that in what in Living Color. You that's know? true. I mean, it goes back but so it, far. It, it's part I, of but it. I I feel like the characters maybe it's just you 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 know you 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 like what you grew up with, but I feel like the characters now just aren't the same. You that's know, we're the the old as shit. The I one don't that know. comes to mind is the one that comes to mind is Kristen Wiig's Target Lady. Which was an abomination, and was no fire marshal bill, <laughs> you know, the head detective on *In Living Color*. I don't know. I feel like someone could argue could argue the point that that is Kristen Wiig's fire marshal bill. The mannerism. I mean, it is a fair, it's a somewhat developed character. Oh, Kristen Wiig manner- had a fire marshal bill, and it was Gilly, oh, yeah. or it was the deformed the deformed girl. Okay, with the with little the, arms. The which that, that was always that was weak shit. That one sucks. But I don't know. I think somebody could probably argue in favor of those are pretty comparable things. And obviously, we're both very favorable to In Living Color. That's perhaps a product of growing up with it in the way we did. I don't think you're going to like well, sketch comedy ever. Let's put it this way. We got to revisit this when there's actually something you feel like. I think it's going to have to be something that actually just blows up the format and changes it entirely for you to be enjoying it. And I think no matter what, you're going to have repetitive writing coming back because you can fall back on something that you at least have a base already set for and if but, some but it's it's funny, it's, it's basically the same sketch oh yeah the valets on Kim the valets on Kim Peel they're doing the same thing well those were I mean it's just filling the, fill the line who are they gonna freak out about or whatever that 
practically that had to have a template they loaded up in Google Docs and they just filled in a different name for who they're going to freak out about or whatever. It is. It's lazy writing is what it is. It boils down to they're just filling things in. But people get comfortable and want to see repeating. Th I'm torn. The more I talk about it, I'm torn between I'm on your side to some degree, but I'm also I've, there's characters that I've liked that come out on the other end of these things that I do enjoy. It gets old. Though. All right, going back, to, yeah, going back to with Bob and David. Uh, two more thoughts. One, the studio audience laughing is odd nowadays. <laughs> with with the with shows like with sketch comedy shows like this, I wondered this about Mad TV too. In that it had an audience, they would do some stuff live. A lot of the stuff seemed to be pre-recorded, and do they just does, does the audience just sit there and watch these pre-recorded sketches on TV? And laugh along. Is that what, what they use for the, the laughter? I, because like with Bob and David, there were some studio, there's some scenes filmed in front of a, an audience. And then there are clearly uh, sketches that are pre-taped. Well, I mean, anyway. Studio, studio laughter is, it's off-putting. And it's off-putting in with Bob and David. I'm not a fan of that. And I wasn't, I wasn't before either. It is certainly something I never liked about it. But I mean, they're executing the, their unique format and brand of Bob and David shit, and I guess that's that's part of it—the the stage stuff. And the then stuff, the but, second the uh, second thought was Scott Ackerman appears in a sketch. It's um, a sketch about a television show that's a cross between. It's called Shark Kitchen, and so it's like a chopped parody, like a cooking show contest in Shark Tank. And I was watching this, and I thought. This is a comedy bang bang sketch, like something Scott Ackerman would film for his TV show. And I wonder how high Bob and Eric, Bob and Eric, <laughs> Bob and David, it's a different uh, group aspired, aspired to with this 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 series. Do you, do you think they're just um, phoning it in because it was easy for them to get a green light on it? I can't say because I haven't finished more than one, or you know, I'm still in the middle of the second episode. Right, because uh, you you know you expect. Oh, Mr. Show is getting back together. They're going to do something unique. And some of this stuff just seems like middling sketch comedy fare. Um, how, how many episodes are there? I didn't even look ahead. Eight? There's four. There's only four. Oh, there's only four episodes. Jeez. Yeah. So they, they only, if you're only making four, I feel like your hit, your hit ratio has got to be higher than, for me, it was like very, very low. <laughs> wow. I, I guess I... I thought it was six, maybe eight at the high end, but only four. Well, shit. So, um, yeah, Bob and David um, is part of a, a torrent, no pun intended, of shows that Netflix and Amazon are dropping. Uh, I saw a tweet that said, from November 6th to December 18th, a six-week period, Netflix and Amazon are dropping 10 full seasons of television. And some of these are are, so, are shows that are coming back, correct? Transparent. No, oh yes, Transparent's coming back. Some uh, of these I think are that's the only returning that, that's the only returning one. So, okay. Master of None with Bob and David, River, which is one of those I think it's one of those Scandinavian or British They picked uh, up from they picked up from another know, production thing and they just Yeah, Crime it. miniseries. It's one of those The Man in the High Castle, which drops this Friday, mm -hmm. as does Marvel's Jessica Jones. A very Murray Christmas. Is that I think that's a film. Yeah, that's maybe like a it's short a, it's a special. Is that a film? I, okay. I don't, yeah, I mean um, more or less it's a TV film special. It's I think it's like an hour or something or whatever, hour and a half. It's I don't think it's very a show. Yeah, I don't think that's a series. So it might just be nine series. 
Yeah, it's a film. So nine, so nine full, nine full seasons, still a lot of television in six weeks. Uh, Transparent season two, Making a Murderer, which is a docu-series, and F is for Family, which is Bill Burr's animated series. Uh, and a show called Real Rob, which I had to look up. Let me pull it up here. Real Rob, Netflix picked it up, and it's an eight-episode comedy series produced by Rob, starring and produced by Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider financed it himself and shocking he's going yes his co-star is his wife on the show <laughs> the single camera documentary style half hour is edgier geared to cable oh, it's edgier than his last show it centers on Rob playing a version of himself, his Mexican wife, Patricia, also playing himself. Rob's incompetent assistant, whom he cannot fire because he is his friend, and Rob's personal stalker. The narrative is punctuated by Schneider doing stand-up bits in the vein of FX's Louis and the early years of Seinfeld. So, I guess it's like Rob Schneider's master of none. <laughs> I, um, I suspect quality is probably not going to be even even after your C grade you gave Master of None. Probably this show is going to be. Who's the audience? It's a C, but I don't know. Like I, but, there's a very clear reason it was self financed. Yeah, you could see, you could see why Rob Schneider had to pay. <laughs> he had to pay uh, someone else to like, allow this to happen. Yeah, like Netflix probably picked it up because what do they have to lose? They didn't spend any money on this. If Rob Schneider poured in all his money, there might. And uh, speaking of which, Rob Schneider is half Asian, so it is like a half master of none, maybe. You gonna dive into that I, one? I'm I'm so behind on Netflix shows and you know Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows. I'm still trying to catch up on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh wow! I got through like one episode of Narcos. Yeah. I've- did not uh, give it a shot yet. So it's, I'm, it's just I'm, I'm very way, behind. So. The thing with Narcos though is I know the story and I've seen enough films about Pablo Escobar. I don't know that I need to see Narcos. Yeah. And so then again, you know, I've seen every episode. I think I'm the only person in the world still watching The Bastard Executioner. You have to be one of the few because I've only other couple of TV people. They're they're already out. My friends quit, it and it's one of the ones. So. You yeah. you know that typically I would start something like that, and I did not even give it a chance. Well, you know what's annoying me is that all of FX's shows are running long oh, uh, this fall. They, so they all, Fargo's running long. They all got Kurt Sutter the, in their veins, no, well, and they just the they, thing they is run like long. Kurt Sutter went nuts during Sons of Anarchy. You'd get hundred minute episodes. That's with without commercials. You know, Fargo will just run. 10, 15 minutes long, so will American Horror Story. And I think FX just wants to give them cable, like pay, premium cable running times. Sure. And in order to make that work, you just got to go over. And so anyway, uh, I saw this news tidbit in Friday Morning Quarterback, which is radio industry trade. And it said, Blink-182 is going to release Dude Ranch, Enema of the State, The Mark, Tom, and Travis Show, and the Blink-182 self-titled on limited as limited edition cassette tapes. Apparently, cassette releases are fashionable now i was not aware and i wonder you know i i i I don't own any vinyl but i hear that vinyl may or may not sound better than digital and that's a reason to to buy albums on vinyl would you like me to (laughs) chime in 
as a vinyl and cassette yeah. owner. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand. Like, there's no what <laughs> we no. can we can tread on the audio quality thing for forever. I'm gonna leave that to googling things. It's it's fun. Okay, personally, I'll tell you why I buy vinyl. Anyways, is a because I've stolen so much music in my life. I feel like I'd like to give something back to some people, and I'm sure as hell not gonna buy a CD because it's not that fun. I like the big art. I like limited runs of shit. I like cool colors and just shit like that. Uh, whether or not it sounds better, my setup doesn't really necessarily go one okay. way or another. So l- let's go back to tapes then. You don't get the big art, and you can't okay. just skip around here's, putting the needle here, wherever you want. Okay, well, and here's where tapes come in. They're, they're super, super cheap. Vinyl is expensive to press still. I mean, there's only a cup, there's only like three major uh, plants that are currently pressing vinyl, and it's super expensive to get to point A to point B. Tapes are cheap as fuck. I, I, I typically, if I feel like a band's vinyl is a little too expensive at a show, if I'm actually wanting to pick something up and they have a tape, I always buy the tape. Tape quality, though, is all over the place, and it is certainly can be good, and, and more often than not, it's garbage. But it's cheap. I like to support. It's not surprising that uh, like Blink-182 is doing something on tape because it's so cheap, and it's it'll sell. They can they can charge yeah, as much like- as a CD <laughs> for it, and they'll probably sell them. <laughs> How, how how many people have tape players? I just um, bought a new one at Goodwill, a new Technics. It's sitting right behind my laptop here, actually. Uh, I got a pretty uh, sweet deal for 10 bucks, and it sounds amazing, and it's actually a very full-featured deck. Uh, my friend John in Seattle, the biggest vinyl collector I know, and also tape collector I know, and he says he pretty much can't find a tape player like at anywhere any of the used places you know i'm talking anything that takes used things and and they'll take this store sort of stuff he says they don't even stay on the shelf so it's it's pretty huge out there as well people are buying it so it's cheap so okay cassette cassette tapes are making a comeback (laughs) well i've also and i've also seen that uh People are also buying reel-to-reel machines, which is a whole other ordeal. And actually, those are tape. If, if you can't imagine our big re- listeners, if you don't know what a reel-to-reel is, it looks like a big giant uh, rectangle, and it's got tapes on it that look like movie theater reels, and that's what runs through. It's just a giant cassette tape. And uh, audio quality on that is, depending on what you're buying, is amazing, apparently. I've not heard or uh, actually played with a reel-to-reel at all. A little cost-prohibitive, and they're... Uh, hard to maintain apparently that's a thing as well now so i can't be shocked anymore at what's what vinyl to me makes the most sense from a standpoint of how it looks and feels and what you can do with it i agree tapes aren't nearly as fun you can make colored tapes you can you can do some stuff with the art it's just not that big but it's cheap i think the entrance the entrance to it is what is uh gets people Wait, well, cheap. well tape is cheap but then you then you got to find the player right? sure i'm an oddball like, people like us for it, i guess I, you I don't know, know i still have a tape player but i've also got i've also know. got a, a deck too i've got a old school toshiba uh like walkman and it's it's pretty awesome too. It's got some crazy functionality that you never see on anything. So I just happen to have these just as, things. Just as an aside, in the film Steve Jobs, Steve gives his daughter a Walkman when Walkmans are popular. And then the, the last scene in the film, he meets up with his daughter right before the launch of the iMac. Yeah. So 
1998 or something, and his daughter is still using a Walkman. Oh, and, here, where, and I wonder where the, that goes, huh? Yeah. Wonder, yeah, and so the whole the whole reason that they keep this Walkman around is so he can make some uh, comment about wanting to create a better music device for his daughter, which of course is the iPod, right? And so I'm sitting there wondering who in 1998 <laughs> was still using a Walkman. Yeah, uh, that's a slightly implausible thing. I mean, you, this certainly would have been a Discman, and I don't know why you couldn't have just slipped in a Discman instead and have to harken back to the device he had given her. Okay, so okay, I'm. I'm I'm going to bounce back just real quick, though. I feel like mm -hmm. the popularity of some of this stuff, these analog uh, devices, it brings a tactile feel that is uh, kind of missing from some of our uh, swiping around on a little square of glass type of thing. It's fun. It's fun to pop in the tapes and play them, and it's fun to lay the vinyl down and watch things spin and stuff come out of speakers. It's it's not for everybody, well, and the entrance to it, yeah, I mean, it is, can be very expensive, so... You got you just get into it. I don't know. I mean to that end, VHS is never going to make a comeback and well, neither is, is LaserDisc. Well, I, they, I, have a, they, I have a LaserDisc player at home and Please don't get rid of it. Keep it forever. For me, will you keep it forever? Send it to me. You like I don't you have like any, laser discs? I don't have any laser discs, but uh, well and they and Sony actually just this week killed off uh, production of Betamax tapes. So they were still currently, yeah. if anyone didn't know, producing Betamax tapes. I, I don't know what the industry is for that. I don't know anybody buying that at all, but they were still making them up until this last week's. We can argue the merits um, of the yeah. quality over VHS, but that's just that's pointless. I wonder what happened to like all the all those laser discs. I, w I went through a Laserdisc period. Like my parents, they got a Laserdisc player because that's how karaoke <laughs> was being home karaoke was being processed in Asia. They would put you know all the karaoke videos on Laserdiscs, mm -hmm. and you'd buy the Laserdiscs and sing in your house. And the Asian market and then, was where Laserdiscs thrived totally. Right, so. and then for like a period, I would rent Laserdiscs, Star Wars. Star Wars, the there's actually it was before good, the special edition. Maybe. Yeah, there's actually yeah. some of the best editions are actually on Laserdisc because it actually has because Laserdisc actually had a mixture of analog digital tra video transfer, but you could also have a digital soundtrack on top of it. I don't know what the original Star Wars were uh, how they were set up, but like the Phantom Menace had like the first six, digital six one soundtrack was on the laser on laserdisc in 99 it was an important format I, I, to to move the I, the needle along when it comes to technology I, and playback I, I just wonder what happened to all that stock is it just in a landfill right now i don't know honestly just all the laser discs you it, don't you don't you don't see them you see like no. you see records at goodwill yeah and you see vhs tapes and dvds but you never see laser discs i'd pick one up just to have because it's it looks cool they're neat there's a draw to it i certainly wouldn't be able to play it and i really don't care to and yeah along the same lines i was thinking about cassette tapes and i remember do you remember vcr plus oh yes <laughs> vcr plus was the predecessor to a dvr where you would go through the TV guide and there would be a code and you enter the code into the VCR and the the show that the code was attached to would record. I just, I don't understand how it worked because it wasn't connected to any network like your DVRs are nowadays. You would just enter this code and the VCR would know what channel and... <laughs> 
uh, what time. Yeah, it was all based on like an algorithm to know. It was all based on time. It wouldn't time shift based on if the news ran long. It would still just record that block. So essentially you were just punching in a block of time on a number channel. So I think it was regionally based. How did the VCR know what channel? You know, different cities. Because the code, it would know regionally. Whatever the grid it had was pulling from, it knew. Did it ever work? No, because I've never... I never used it. I have no idea. But I know how it, how it wouldn't work, which would be fixing like time shift. If a baseball game ran long, well, it would just still record that block that initially it was set to. It didn't know because it had no relation to anything. All right. So this week, uh, the Hollywood Reporter published um, a graphic counting the season to date, 18 to 49 average. Basically, the audience sizes for all the different late night talk show hosts and i just want to run through the list number one at 1.33 million is jimmy fallon of course because everyone everyone likes jimmy fallon's games Um, oh do they we mock yeah we we mock but they they are quite popular (laughs) and then coming in in second place at 1.04 million is Colbert. So he's he's doing comparison. I would have expected at least a little bit more of a gradual climb to that, but he seems to be doing okay. Uh, A simple, uh, a similar dip uh, from Fallon to Colbert is Colbert to Jimmy Kimmel in third place. Although I read this week that Jimmy Kimmel beat Colbert, it just was on one night probably. It wasn't. Uh, It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a special special guest. It was just a normal. No, no, no. It wasn't. So yeah. So there you go, Fallon, Colbert, Kimmel, basically what you expect. Uh, but coming in fourth, John Oliver, which surprises me. That's shocking. Because I assume these these ratings estimates are for people who watch live. Yeah. And so you're talking about John Oliver's on at 11 o'clock on Sunday nights, and he's on HBO. On a paid you know. yeah. So, uh, and he's, he's basically pulling... Pulling Kimmel almost, numbers... Yeah, he's pulling much. Kimmel numbers yeah. on on HBO. That's that really surprised me. And then coming in after John Oliver is Seth Meyers, which surprises me too. In that I don't know anyone who has seen his show. I've not made uh, it. It's been on for like two years now, and I've never watched it. But I, I think it's just like he's drafting off Jimmy Fallon. And then so coming after Seth Meyers is Trevor Noah, which is pretty good. You know, I thought uh, the Daily Show would crater. After John Stewart left, he, you know, he's still performing up there. It's a thirty-eight percent drop from John Stewart. Um, so Stewart would have John John Stewart's Daily Show would have been higher than Seth. Than Seth Meyers, Myers. probably be around John Oliver numbers. Okay. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I feel like after John Stewart left the Daily Show, all the blogs decided we're not going to use the Daily Show as blog content anymore because you never see videos of Trevor Noah's daily show for for clicks as clickbait right he's just kind of in this uh he's a person who exists I mean really he's kind of right in the middle of this bunch of people so right after Trevor Noah a fall-off to James Corden who follows Colbert what I what I like about Corden is up from Ferguson Craig Ferguson and what I like about Corden's show is that all the celebrities they sit on the couch together. It's a it's a it's a British format chat show where everyone is on stage at once. Yeah. 
I prefer that in that sometimes the celebrities will ask questions to each other, and it seems just more natural. It's very podcasty, you know, the interactions. I like that, and he's the only one doing it. Huzzah for him! And then after Corden is Carson Daly, which is which surprises me in that Carson has been on longer than Seth Meyers. Carson, Carson has been on over a decade, I think. Well, if, and for anybody who doesn't know anyone, where he went, that's what he's been doing since MTV. Yeah, yeah, and he's also hosting The Voice. So before he hosted The Voice, he just kind of disappeared into this 1.30, 5 a.m. vacuum. I've never seen a show, and I don't know anyone who's seen a show, and yet he's pulling decent numbers for being on at 1.30, 5 a.m. in the morning. But he was in a vacuum, and The Voice kind of saved him from irrelevance complete irrelevancy as he resurfaced into the cultural consciousness and so after carson daly is the nightly show with larry wilmore which you know that time slot where colbert stock pie is just completely cratered after colbert left it's definitely not yeah, for I me i gave it a yeah shot and, and it didn't, uh, doesn't work for me yeah i think it's the same writers though at, that wrote for colbert maybe i'm not sure i was talking to a friend who who's friends with the people who created At Midnight, which follows the nightly show, and they're just like, we have no lead in anymore. <laughs> Our ratings just crater after it, it's the affecting Daily show. it's affecting them directly. Then uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and so after Larry Wilmore is the what's what is it called? Watch what happens live. It's Bravo's talk show. I'm surprised it's even rating here. This is always like a weird talk show to me in that Andy Cohen used to be like the vice president of programming at Bravo or something, and he just decided to give himself a talk show, which I guess, you know, is doing okay. They, he gets pretty good guests on that show, so yeah. And, and yeah, then following Andy Cohen, Conan, so... <laughs> to, to me, this was the, the surprising thing. I don't pay attention to numbers when it comes to shows yeah. for the most part, and this was the most surprising position on here, I yeah. thought. Poor Conan is rating worse than Carson Daly. Not the nightly I mean, show. And and when you get into numbers as low as these are, I mean he's quite a bit behind that. Yeah, I mean that's, I a, mean, that's a difference there. So Conan still does. He can still do good stuff, right? It's not like being a talk show host in a, a traditional talk show host is the only thing Conan can do. He wrote for The Simpsons. He's a smart guy. He can do anything he wants, but he wants to do a talk show. It's not like he's. He has no other job skills. And no. so I wonder he, he's why, one why the, he... He's one of the most talented men on the panel that we've named. Towards the beginning there, I would say more talent. You know, there's a lot of talent there too. There's a middle group of guys here that uh, I'm not sure if they didn't have this, what they would be doing. Conan is the strongest candidate on the second half of this thing. Sad to see and him so, so low. I don't, I, I don't know why he's just flailing away. Do you, you watch know, keeping it? his... Do you watch I, it ever? No. I've seen clips. Like, I, I, I he watch has a stunt clips. show coming up this week. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch that. I'll watch Conan in Armenia. Is that what he's, um, is that what he's doing? Lot, yeah, he's going to Armenia. He went to Armenia with his assistant who's Armenian. And so that's Tuesday's episode. But I, I like the one where he went to Cuba. You know, he's still getting pretty good pulls. He did he did shows from Comic-Con this year. And I, so on like one episode... It needs to be noted he's actually doing things. It's not fucking beer pong with Kenny Chesney. Because yeah, that drives me absolutely I don't know. batshit. It's so dumb. 
And then rounding out the list is Chris Hardwick and At Midnight, which also surprises me in that when they do those hashtag wars, those always trend on Twitter. Those hashtags always trend within the top five of Twitter. And so maybe Twitter is just not representative of general audiences because you, I feel like At Midnight is more watched than The Nightly Show or The Daily Show, just based on what trends on Twitter. Well, those are viewership. Those That's viewership that's kind of hard to calculate. I'm sure someone's working on trying to trying to translate in, that into watches. So maybe Nerdist isn't as big as we think it is if Chris Hardwick is rounding out the list. So that's your list from Jimmy Fallon at 1.33 million to Chris Hardwick at 262,000. Okay, this week, Michael Rappaport, the actor, went on the Bill Simmons podcast. I was listening to it. Do you want to play track one? This is, uh, hold on, this is Michael Rappaport laughing on the Bill Simmons podcast. From the post zebra head. <laughs> okay, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I was taken aback by his laugh. Is it like the oddest celebrity laugh out there? Because when you think of weird laughs, you th- it's kind of like if Seth Rogen's laugh mated with Fran Drescher's laugh, then you would have Michael Rappaport's laugh. I can, I get that. Yeah, I can hear that in there. Play, play track two. I edited out Bill, and so we can just listen to his laugh. <laughs> and so I was trying to figure out what to do with this laugh because it's 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 incredible. And I thought of you know those um, videos on YouTube of the Big Bang Theory without the laugh track. They they take out. I grabbed one of those and I attached Michael Rappaport's laugh to one of the bad jokes on the Big Bang Theory. And so you can play track three. Ah. Nothing makes beer taste better than cool, clear, Rocky Mountain spring water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> His laugh just makes me laugh. His laugh is funnier than anything on with Bob and David. They should have a whole sketch of just Michael Rappaport laughing at things. I'm enjoying the interactiveness that we've got with that. I hope we, we can do more of that. We're, we're at our HBO hour. It's what we're trying to round this uh, podcast out at. You know, I value listeners' time, and I think John does too, so we will try and keep these succinct, not run on forever, because we certainly probably could do that. I'm at Zombieologist on Twitter, if anybody would like to follow me. And John? Yeah, it's uh, at AdamRev.com. Take care. All right, see ya. <laughs>